The following episode of the 9pm Edict isn't. Uh, no, it's not. This is another episode of the podcast Vertical Hold Behind the Tech News, which is, and I quote, a podcast that dives into the big stories of the week, joined by Australia's leading tech journalists every Friday, co-hosts Adam Turner and Alex Kidman channel surf through the headlines in search of the big picture. Uh, well, hello, I'm Still Garyan. you knew that, uh, and this week I was that leading tech journalist, which is very amusing. Uh, we spoke about the whole Elon Musk and Twitter thing at length and some other things uh, the lads will explain in a minute, but in the less than 24 hours since we recorded this, more has happened. So listen in at the end for an update on Musk v Twitter uh, that starts at around the 44-minute mark. This episode of Vertical Hold was posted on Friday the 4th of November 2022. Enjoy. Has Elon Musk sunk Twitter by buying it? And what should Medibank do about its cyber ransom threat? Vertical Hold is proudly brought to you by Aussie Broadband, changing the game with their award-winning network and Australian-based support. Hey there, welcome back to Vertical Hold Behind the Tech News, the tech podcast where we catch up with Australia's leading tech journalists to dive into the big stories of the week. I'm Adam Turner and I'm joined as always by Alex Kidman. Now Alex, this week, Sony revealed its pricing for its long-awaited second-generation VR headset, the unsurprisingly named PSVR 2. This sucker is $879.95, which is more than the PS5. Has Sony lost the plot here? Look, I wish I had a funny answer to this, but I don't. I'm not entirely sure that they've lost the plot because I get the R&D costs money, the tech costs money, but it feels insane that it costs more than the console and honestly, they're kind of chasing this 10-plus-year VR dream that consumers are going to jump into VR with enthusiasm, and they haven't yet. And given it's for a console that's really still quite hard to buy unless you want to pay an eBay or scalper, it feels like this is just going to be the most minimal market product for Sony in years since the Minidisc, perhaps. Hey, hey, don't knock Minidisc. <laughs> don't you start. Don't you knock Minidisc. I'll knock what I like, sir. <laughs> anyway, speaking of losing your grasp on reality, this week we're joined once again by the one and only Stilgarian. Welcome <laughs> back to the show. <laughs> uh, hello, chaps. I don't think it's me that's losing reality this week for a change. So would you drop 1500 bucks all up to get the PlayStation 5 and the new uh, VR headset to escape from reality? Uh, no, there are there are cheaper ways, and uh, <laughs> you, you know that work even without electricity. I, I think the problem is, I mean, all right, I'm I'm not particularly a gamer, so I don't have the platform to begin with. I'm assuming this is all part of the wonderful thrust towards the metaverse. Bum, bum, bum. I know we need a theme song for it, and and again that that is about as appealing as chlamydia. So. You know, no, no, I don't, I don't want this. I saw someone saying that 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 Meta and Mr. Zuckerberg are saying that the, the thing that they're going for here is is you do business in the metaverse. You you actually that's your workplace is in the metaverse. I would, why? What what possible benefit could it have? 
Where else am I going to trade my NFTs? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, that makes perfect it's, sense there. Yeah, well, that's all right then. So Still's joining us because right now, anywhere, even the metaverse feels safer for a discussion than Twitter. Because <laughs> Elon's finally closed the deal that's given him complete lordship over the social media platform. But still, it hasn't exactly been smooth sailing so far, has it? It hasn't. Uh, I, I mean, if nothing else, Moody's has downgraded the credit rating to, a, I think, a, a B plus now. And given that the credit rating started triple A, he's not even got any A's. He hasn't even got an A minus. He's got a B plus. Look, look, it's happened. People are unhappy. People are threatening to leave Twitter, but it's mostly about being on Twitter to say you're leaving Twitter than actually mm. leaving Twitter. Um, the the kind of community-based decentralized social network Mastodon, which is, you know, used by about five Linux developers and some furries, is is getting tens of thousands of new people a day. But that's you know nothing compared to the millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Twitter users. Uh, and the, Musk and his little team of, of comrades, his bro boys in his, uh, you know, emergency boardroom thing, because it is bro boys, there's no women in that room. You've got venture capital people like Jason Calacanis. Um, no, I better not say what I think of Jason Calacanis. Uh, he's got some people he, he knows from his um, his days when he uh, was one of the Mr. PayPal's and, and so on. And they're clearly making it up as they go along. And they're making it up with with surprising speed. I mean, one of the crazy things about following this story is that if we'd recorded this podcast two days ago, one day ago, frankly, six hours ago from when we're recording it, it would have been a very different story because within the span of a week, he's what? Retweeted a bunch of fairly incendiary, mostly right-wing memes. Your politics yep. might vary on those. He's argued with Stephen King about payment. He's yep. floated paid for Twitter verification, which we'll get into in a minute. He's removed other features from Twitter Blue, the paid for platform, reportedly removed access to content moderation tools from internal staff, dissolved the board of directors. Yep. I, I mean, by the time people are actually listening to this, for all we know, he might have relocated Twitter to Mars. Well, he does have the technology. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's a one-way trip. Uh, he's on board. Seriously, though, yeah, it's 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 just crazy. They are issuing directives and saying things like even the idea of there has always been ever since Twitter started growing this idea of of maybe it should be a paid for thing, you know, and and a decision was made within the first few years of no, this won't be. Um, I, I, I just a platform on which third parties can build apps and so on. We will be a platform, a media thing, and attracting the big people with tens of millions of followers was a core part of the game, and we'd run ads. You could have just said it'll be 10 bucks a year, you know, and, and no ads, and that probably would have been fine. But now I said, oh, to keep your blue tick verified, all right, I, I have – the little blue tick to say I'm a verified user because back when Twitter started in Australia, that like a bunch of journalists were just given one. I can't remember whether you guys have one. Yeah, I'm in that maybe. boat too. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm the man in the room who's not verified, so I might not be me. It's just possible. You could be me. That's a scary but, thought. Yeah, I, I know. But uh, that's turned into not a 
this person is who they say they are. It's not an impersonator, but it's become this sort of weird status symbol. And uh, the idea was, all right, well, you, you pay to be verified, and that will be a revenue stream for Twitter. It currently makes 90% of its money from advertising, but it's, it's not enough. Twitter has always struggled to be profitable. So they floated the idea of maybe $20 a month, and then it was this, that, and the other. Twitter Blue, the discontinued thing, was $4.99 US a month. Uh, and then, yes, there was this bizarre exchange between Elon Musk and Stephen King. Elon Musk saying, you know, you're going to have to pay for this and, and it'll be $20 a month or whatever. And then Stephen King, the the slightly famous horror writer, said, well, you know, you, you should be paying me, basically. And, and Musk is, oh, what about $8 a month? And so <laughs> someone. Angling pl- in real time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and whether that's the result of that or not, the myth that Elon Musk wants to make about himself is that he is in charge and making all these decisions constantly, uh, even though some things you know, might have been in the works for years, but he'll suddenly take credit for it. Just to uh, dwell on the blue tick stuff for a minute, are yeah. they implying that anyone can now get a blue tick if they're prepared to hand over their money? Because I thought the whole point of the blue tick was to prove that you well by in Twitter's own words that you are authentic, so you say who you say you are. You're notable and you're active on the platform. If anyone can just hand over money and get it, doesn't that completely defeat the purpose of it? Yes, but on the plus side, <laughs> for eight bucks a month, I can be King Charles. But that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> well, do no, you still no, have no. to fall? Do you still have to meet the previous criteria for having a blue tick in order to be eligible to hand over your money, or can <laughs> anybody hand over their money? Or we don't know because he's making it up as he goes. The latter, yeah. yeah. Who who knows? I mean, he he has said that people who have the blue tick currently will have 90 days to to pay up, or they'll lose it which presumably gives him time to figure out how to actually make any of this happen. Mm. Although reports have been coming out that he said, no, no, this is going to be a thing. It will be, you know, $8 a month and people can do it. And your his developers have seven days to implement this or they get sacked. <laughs> so obviously it's going to be quality software. Oh, yeah. Just like the physical build quality on a Tesla, possibly even better. It feels like a weird move as well because, I mean, the figures are a little little rubbery, but the estimate is there's something like 400,000 verified accounts. It's not a huge proportion of the no. existing Twitter audience, which would equate out to about $3 bucks, give or take, which, I mean, $3 bucks to you or me, yeah, that's a lot of money. Yep. $3 bucks when you just spent $40 billion plus on the service, it's a rounding error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, that $44 billion in US dollars, that's around nearly $70 billion in Australian dollars. Mm. It's the most astounding thing. $15 billion in the US of that comes via uh, Prince Awalid bin Talal, or, um, the Saudi tech investor, who has been quite canny over the years, um, but also the, uh, the, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia kind of tech investment fund. And when you're struggling to be profitable, having a $15 billion debt to the Saudis, the, the renowned, you know, <laughs> gentle people who would, would not care if you crossed them, um, I wouldn't like to be in that position. Though it's fair to say this isn't just about the verification. For your $8 a month or 
an equivalent, well, an, an appropriate amount in other countries, so presumably cheaper in in less well-off countries and so on, although we've not seen any of that. I mean, all this is just tweets from Elon Musk. Um, you will also have your replies to someone and your and other people's search results will prioritize yours. So when you look at the replies to your tweets, the the blue tick people will be at the top and others further down. And the claim is that all this requiring people to identify themselves as an actual human will help reduce the spams and scams uh, on on the portal, if you remember that callback, Um, which some people have said, well, at one level... Yes, because you won't have bots churning through, you know, a thousand fake passport numbers because there will be presumably some sort of verification system. And that's the case now, unlike... Real passport uh, numbers aren't hard to get. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We might talk about that a little later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, look, I, I, I don't know. People... People are, you know, if they're not paying now, if they're, they're, they're being asked by every streaming service in the world to pay stuff. Uh, and, and meanwhile, um, uh, Instagram, which is owned by Meta, has a, a little pop-up currently, uh, at least in some countries, saying, look, if you've, if you've got the new iOS, which doesn't transmit your kind of device ID numbers so we can track you, if you'd like to just turn that off, that'll help us keep it free. Subtle, no worries. subtle. But I mean, Meta's thing there has always been advertising. I mean, ultimately, it's about sure. selling to advertisers, which Twitter has struggled with. And this seems to be the other problem area that Musk has got, because yes. a lot of people have reported that, for example, since Musk has taken over, an awful lot more objectionable content has come through. I'm not going to repeat mm-hmm. some of that objectionable content. Oh, we but, can't. Uh, yeah, we can't. Um, and and that they, Twitter, I think, has made the argument itself that, no, there may have been a concerted campaign and, and bots doing this stuff, but it was still there. How much of an advertising hole is he in? Well, one of the biggest advertising brokers for social media has already advised its customers to put everything on hold for a month until we can see what happens. Uh, we know that uh, General Motors, the car company, has has paused all its ads for a period, but, you know, that could also be that they don't like Musk's role with Tesla, although they troll him mercilessly online anyway. You know, when Musk boasts, oh, we've, we've produced our 20,000th model whatever, and they just, that, that's nice, Elon, we shipped a million this month. So, <laughs> you know... So, Nice, nice of you to join us in the auto industry. Um, it's going to be tricky because advertisers do not like being there with, well, let's call them what they are, the neo-Nazis and the racists. Mm. Um, and, and as we record this, the latest um, uh, management of Twitter by poll of, of Musk's followers, uh, the question is, Advertisers sh- uh, should support, and the choices are freedom of speech or political correctness. And currently, it's running uh, seven. Sorry, eighty percent want freedom of speech, twenty percent want political correctness. But that's not the binary choice anyway. And of course, <laughs> they're one and a half million of muffs. Muff, uh, muffs. They're one and a half million of Musk's little flying monkeys. Who, like, it's weird. Someone 
describe Twitter right now, at least if you look at what's happening with Musk and his takeover, it's a it's it's two disparate tribes. There's one lot who are just sucking up to Musk and 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 praising him for his wisdom and throwing the N word around and and complaining about the Jews, and then the others are all these people just mocking the whole thing. It's uh, well, and, and I'm one of the latter. I'm looking at this stuff and go, this is insane. Well, speaking of unsavoury types, I think there is one big question, especially considering we're only a week out from the US midterm elections. Mm. Elon was not happy about the fact that Trump was deplatformed, I think was the word for it, basically kicked off Twitter, and now seemingly has the power, you know, has God um, admin rights. Do you think he'll turn around and let him back on tomorrow? I think if he was going to do it quickly, it would it would be already there. Trump would yeah. be back. Trump has sort of said he's not coming back. He's already got his own social network. Truth oh yeah, social. we know how well that's yeah, doing. Yeah, that's yeah. In the game. I I don't know. It's not clear what Trump is doing in in this regard. I mean, he's still running his rallies. He's still, um, you know, shit talking everyone and and complaining about the world. But it is this last few days before the midterm elections, Tuesday U.S. time, coming up. And 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 I think even Elon Musk, although he's you know retweeting weird conspiracy theories about Nancy Pelosi and her husband, um, I, I don't think he's quite ready for Trump to come back. I saw an interesting line from him, I think just in the last few hours when he was asked about it, and he said, Twitter will not allow anyone who was deplatformed for violating Twitter rules back on the platform until we have a clear process for doing so, which will take at least a few more weeks. Now, that sounds like a surprisingly reasonable comment from Elon. I'm going to disagree there, just to, just to butt in. That uh, it's reasonable or that that's no, what they're no, going well, to I do? Think, I, I think they need, <laughs> no, no, they need moderation, but Twitter's been around for years. Why do they need a clear – it sounds dangerous to me. This idea that they suddenly need a clear process. This sounds like he's saying, and I think he very much is, that he's reframing what he thinks the clear process should be because they've had safety departments, they've had people who are meant to moderate. Now, historically, there's a lot of proof that they've done an awful job of this and maybe they need more, but I worry that clear process just means what I think should go goes, but the stuff that can stay can stay. And as we've seen from a lot of his supporters, they're not the most... Um, people. That said, Musk has already gone on the record about this. He said mm. that they haven't changed the content rules. We've we've heard mm. uh, what Adam just described. He's also said there will be a content moderation council made up of people of of diverse views, which will set a policy. Now, this is is it sounds like it could be similar to what Facebook already has, uh, and I forget what Facebook calls it, but they have a, a kind of Supreme Court of Appeal, if you like, uh, that you can refer decisions to. And they will not just look at individual decisions, um, but then say, okay, how should that process have run? What process should there be? What are the broad rules? Um, and, and that came uh, in the wake of some high-profile dumpings from Facebook. Um, you know, Mr. Trump's name comes up there as well. And... Uh, if if Musk is thinking of doing something along those lines, getting it up in a few weeks is rushing it. It, mm. it takes uh, at least a few months to set up something like this. Uh, that he's going to have to have something 
that will both appeal to his fan critters and to those who want to be able to say anything uh, and at the same time be something that the advertisers will be happy with and that other community groups will be happy with and that the European Union will be happy with because when Trump tweeted the bird is freed, uh, the the European Union's head of all of these things. <laughs> In the EU, the bird flies by our rules, waving <laughs> the, the, the EU flag. Then, I mean, even look at that. You start talking this Nazi stuff in Europe and see what happens to you mm. legally. Uh, then there's China. Tesla got a quarter of its revenue last year from China. Uh, we've already had uh, a, a Chinese uh, what do they call them? The wolf warriors, the propagandists, whose whose Twitter feed is still labelled state affiliated media, and he he's tweeting, "Well, well, I'm not. I'm retired now. I'm just a private citizen. So I hope that Twitter will come to its senses and remove all of those, uh, those tags." And I'm going, oh, "Here we go. Um, how's it going to go down with the say the Russian foreign ministry, which tweets quite heavily in a very troll like manner?" Uh, and so on and so forth. So he's gonna he's gonna have to satisfy all these people while getting money from China, while um, uh, you know mortgaged up the wazoo to Saudi Arabia um, and so on, uh, without then all of his fans saying, "Oh, you've gone woke. You're just woke. You've become one of the lefterati," because uh, you know that's the the depth of political commentary and understanding we have on Twitter. But that's what it is. Doesn't he call himself a free speech absolutist? And the absolute doesn't seem to have a lot of wriggle room in it by definition. Yeah, he does. But, uh, you know, then he needs to look at the laws of the countries that he's operating in, particularly at a time when, I mean, we've seen in Australia trying to, you know, make sure that we don't have Google search results influencing news and taking over. It is a a thing around the world that at least, uh, you know, the the Western nations uh, are the democracies are paying more attention to this this stuff. So, and there has always been a difference between what Elon Musk says and what you might call objective reality. So, I mean, with that in mind, you know, if if he was a a Victorian technocrat, he'd be he'd be building follies in his garden. Is this his forty four billion dollar folly, or do you think he has an actual plan? Uh, he's doing it for humanity, Alex. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, look, I for it, one am convinced. Yeah, it, yeah, he's got a messiah. No, well, look, I one should not diagnose other people. Mm. Medically, right. especially when I, you know, I'm not a real doctor, uh, but he he certainly sees himself as a savior, right? He's saving humanity by taking us to Mars, brackets where he will be God Emperor of Mars, making all the rules, and now uh, he's he's creating a platform, freedom of speech, where um, he. He can say anything he likes about Nancy Pelosi, uh, and then when it's called out as as being conspiracy theory rubbish, he deletes that tweet. And then when the New York Times says oh, I must delete this, de- deleted this tweet, where he linked to a platform full of fake news, and he snarks back, "No, I didn't. I didn't link to the New York Times." <laughs> that's this, so that's the level of that, of discourse we're dealing with here. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. real schoolyard stuff. Except when you look at you know some of the young journalists and social media 
content creators coming through. This this is this is just rubbish. But of course, it's only week one. <laughs> True. <laughs> so we've talked on the show a bit about the Optus hack recently, but they're not the only data breach victims in town. Medibank revealed throughout the course of last month, basically, that it had had what appeared to be a small breach, which then turned into a mid-sized breach, which then turned into quite a big breach of its customer database, uh, something along the lines of just under 4 million customers. Uh, Stilgarian, I know you're a man who who loves a data breach. Um, oh, yes. Do, do we actually know beyond... We had a data breach, guys. This is bad. Do we know what happened in any detail? Not really. Um, and the federal police are, are advising anyone who's a victim of a, of a data breach to to not give away any details, uh, both to encourage copycats and to not reveal what they know in their investigation at that time. What I do know, however, is that it's again been a a, a kind of cluster of mistakes uh, in terms of communication. Now, Medibank did the thing you should never do and say on day one, oh, we have no evidence that any customer data was stolen. Um, and of course, we'll, yeah, now, we, now we'll actually look for said, said evidence and we find, uh, yeah, we, we did lose a bit, um, uh, 200 gigabytes uh, <laughs> of stuff. Um, medical records, the whole thing. Um, we don't know how. We know it's not ransomware. Uh, it does appear to be that a large amount of data was just on a server somewhere without being properly protected. So no ransomware involved, but there is a ransom involved. We don't know how much uh, the hackers are asking. We do know that in the Optus case, which is, I don't know, same people, different people, who can say, but they were asking for a million dollars US uh, before they kind of caved in. Uh, there is no sign of a caving in uh, at this stage. And uh, Medibank is not able to say yet whether they've reached a decision on whether to pay this ransom or not. But they did prove that they actually have real data, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, I mean, th there's a standard kind of way these stories unfold now that there's there's an allegation um of a data breach or a hack, uh, someone claims credit for it or not, a sample of the data will appear uh, on the dark web, and then um, data breach investigators uh, will have a look at that and contact some of the people and go, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's their real details. And, and then, of course, the organisation itself it can look at the data and go, yeah, uh, yeah, all that other stuff in there, all those transaction numbers and, yeah, yeah, that's that's real. And then the question becomes, is that sample just the sample that someone else is flogging online or is this definitely the full batch of stuff that is out there and you're talking to the person involved? Uh, at this stage, the feeling is, yeah, they're, they're, these are the, the correct people involved in, in having all of the data and now it's just what happens next? And all of the data in this case feels to me, and I should say, I suppose, I'm not a Medibank customer. I'm not one of those affected, I think. Well, I'm certainly not a customer of theirs, but uh, this feels to me like it could be potentially more dangerous than the Optus data. I mean, we, we've, we've argued and 
uh, about whether or not Optus needed to hold that data from a legal perspective or should have anyway. But Medibank, obviously, as a health fund, would have health data and insurance data and so on, which was part of its business, which presumably these bad actors now have. Oh, your health data, it contains everything. It's one of the most valuable you can have. You have the person's financial details because the the money's coming in and out. You have their health record. You have an insight into the people. Uh, You might, if you were uh, a nation-state actor, some um, intelligence service, you could use that to find people under psychological stress or uh, indications that there might be financial stress. Uh, you know, uh, they've been treated for drug addiction or whatever it is. You might find potential uh, agents in that. Uh, you can uh, blackmail people to say, "Well, look, you know, we'll reveal this to your employer. Uh, we'll reveal uh, this uh, uh, this quiet little abortion after your overseas trip to your partner. Uh, things like that, uh, and and so much more can be gleaned from having this medical data. I." It's it's going to be one of those those interesting questions because, and this is the question for anyone who who has been issued with a ransom notice. On the one side, and the official advice is never pay a ransom. Right? Don't do business with terrorists. Don't pay a ransom. Whatever. But sometimes you do actually want your kids back, um, <laughs> and in this case, sometimes not you, just their really, Yeah. 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 You do actually want this data not to go out. Then it goes back to the other side of the argument. Yeah, but if you start paying out these big ransoms, A, there's no guarantee that they won't just take your money and run anyway. And B, you're indicating that, yep, companies are this is this is a business worth trying, right? The ransomware's good. You can make money at this. And uh We've certainly seen cases in the past where uh, the ransom has been, you know, X dollars, and then they've said, oh, no, 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 maybe maybe one, one a bit more, maybe 3X. Send us 3X and we won't really, and so on. You, so you mentioned that uh, the, the Medibank board has not yet decided, or they're not publicly said, yes, yeah. we're going to pay, no, we're not going to pay, unless I'm very much mistaken, even though obviously all of this stuff falls under the umbrella of criminal activity, Unless I'm very much mistaken, it wouldn't actually be illegal for them to pay, would it? There's no legislation that says you cannot pay this kind of thing. Not directly, no. Uh, if if it's found that you were uh, funding terrorism, for example, like if it was found that these are in fact operatives from, say, North Korea, which has financial sanctions on it and so on. They're not terrorists, but there are hmm. sanctions on North Korea or Iran uh, where there is terrorism and so on, then yes, you are helping to fund terrorism and that becomes a crime. Uh, so it's not illegal to pay it. Uh, of course, you have, though, the shareholders who are going to say, well, hang on, why, this is our money too. And uh, can you say that company directors have acted in the best financial interest of the company if they start giving money to criminals? Now, Medibank is one of Australia's, I think, the largest private health insurance company. You would think they would have cyber insurance to cover this? (laughs) (laughs) This is my favourite bit of the whole story. This this is beautiful. (laughs) Uh, No, they did not have cyber insurance because this insurance company says insurance is expensive and not worth it. 
No shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's got to go. So the health of their the health of their company (laughs) is not worth insuring. This is a vote of confidence, surely. It's just lovely. It is so sweet. And I'll just uh, have to go public. Uh, it's, it's these little moments of schadenfreude that, mm. that make that make life worth living. Um, yeah, my friend Father Carl says it's a sin, but schadenfreude is a very human sin. <laughs> well, speaking of sins, um, we've mentioned Optus, we've mentioned Medibank. I think there have been like two or three slightly smaller scale ones from merchants locally as well. Why are we having so many breaches at the moment? Is it just that? The reporting is better, or is it a scaling up of this kind of activity? Hard, hard to say. Uh, the, 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 there are waves of this through the year, and uh, some of it is after the uh, the summer season in the Northern Hemisphere of hacker conferences. So there always has been uh, a series of new hacks and such in September, October, November. Uh, it could just be that uh, new groups have decided, yep, we're running some campaigns at the moment. Uh, it could just be that we're very good as humans at trying to see patterns in clouds. You know, it's like shark attacks, right? There's a shark attack, and then three weeks later, oh, there's another shark attack, and now we have a, a spate of shark mm. attacks. When in fact, no, just, it's just random clustering. It's hard to say. Uh, it's quite possible that, that given we had the Optus breach and then a couple of other you know, uh, lesser lesser profile, but still kind of pencil up the nose grade mistakes that that other crime gangs went. Oh, oh, let's have a look at Australian ones. We haven't looked at Australian ones for a while. Um, again, we're back to the the flying monkeys effect of oh, oh. I, look, I'd certainly do that now because right now that we've had all these really high profile ones, I reckon a lot of folks will be going, hey, let's let's look at some Australian companies for a bit. Um, no, this, I mean, there's big ones overseas, but of course we don't we don't hear about them. Not in Australia, right? not in a direct sense. You know, we might abstractly think, "Oh, this big medical group in the US got hacked," but why would we care? So then, as the end person listening to all this is saying, "Right, well, I've handed over my data to all these people; they're all getting hacked. What is that that I can do in any way, shape, or form to keep myself safe or safer?" Bugger all. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the problem is here, you currently have to release a lot of data to do business with people. Hmm. Um, you know, you have to show a, a driver's license for a passport for ID. Obviously, for health insurance, you need your Medicare number and your actual health records. That's that's literally the whole point you're interacting. Um, the trick would be to have an infrastructure where even if someone had your passport number, that by itself is useless. That there is uh, a bunch of digital signatures and such so that we know, yes, we've got the passport number, but also there's some transactional data attached to that to say, and the passport holder is currently holding that phone in their hand and we're signing that with a time-stamped digital signature and so on. There is technology starting to emerge for that. Uh, in Australia, there's there's no clear plan to make that happen. But if you watch the space called verifiable credentials, you'll see 
international standards uh, emerging for this. And for anyone who uses Google Pay or Apple Pay, this is what you're talking about, the wallet mm. on your phone that you've got your credit card numbers in there and so on, and and there's a, a mechanism by where they can authenticate that's not just the right card number because it's talked to your bank, but now you know, the phone is in your hand and you correctly logged in and all those things. Uh, we see them a little bit in, in New South Wales, at least in Australia and the other states to follow, digital driver's licences where you can show the licence on your phone and there's a constantly changing QR code which someone else with their phone can can look at that and it all magically through the cloud says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all correct. You are looking at that correct digital licence right now. It's not a static screenshot. Uh, and so on, that technology can be extended to have a, a, a more open wallet. There are open wallet standards being developed. And down the track, that will be the sort of thing we have. How important is that level of obfuscation as well? Because, I mean, you mentioned Apple Pay, and one of the things they talk about with that is that it's not just, right, I've presented my phone and proved that I'm me, but also to my understanding when I do that, they're generating a one-time use credit card code number, call it what you will, which only that transaction can use. Therefore, if somebody hacks you know, my supermarket or whatever, they're not actually getting my details as well. That sort of thing is part of this technology too, yeah. Mm. Uh, that if you were showing your virtual ID at a, a, a nightclub to get in, all the nightclub needs to know is that you're 18 years or over, or 21 if you're in America and so on. They don't need to know your home address. They don't, don't need to know your date of birth. It's just a yes or no, are you over 18 or not? And that's, the again, the verifiable credentials do that. You decide which piece of data about you is currently being exposed. And to stop you having to think about it, the system will do that. Like the, the license venue will just ask, is this person over 18 and the system will say yes or no and that's all it will reveal in the same way that your your apple wallet uh, and apple pay doesn't identify you to the store where you're buying it just says yes here is a transaction and this is this is legit here's your hundred bucks for the products you've just bought and you don't you don't know you don't even know the credit card number, which is what your standard online system is. You don't even know who the person is. The problem with that would seem to be that it needs the infrastructure of like the, the government needs to introduce it everywhere else. You're going to get all these little piecemeal things that don't talk to each other and there's still going to be all these laggards who don't introduce it and they're the ones that are going to get hacked. Oh, yeah. And the same thing happened where people say, why don't banks get hacked anymore? Why why aren't there bank robbers with Sean Offs? Why aren't there bank robbers with sawn-off shotguns going into your local Commonwealth bank branch and, and going away with 50 grand? It's because the banks put in all of those automatic screens and bulletproof glass, and if you try that, you're just going to be standing there in a little glass cage until the cops arrive. So no one bothers hitting the banks anymore. They hit the next run down in at least the cybersecurity, cybercrime world. Things like payroll processing companies, superannuation processing companies, and so on. Now, as they tighten up, sure, it'll all get pushed down. Same with cards. You won't ever stop someone who wants to steal your car specifically. But since no one, unless you know, you're driving, driving a Ferrari or something, no one wants your specific car. They just want a car. And if yours is a little bit harder to get into, well, I'll take the next one. 
I've seen Adam's car. Nobody wants to steal that. <laughs> let, there we are. That's there's there's security right there. Don't have anything worth stealing or an air freshener. I feel like at this stage, though, as someone who's four months into trying to get a passport out of the Australian government, it might be easier to go on the dark web and say, hey, guys, you've got all my details already. Can I have a passport, please? It might be the easiest way to go. Uh, obviously, I couldn't recommend that, of course. But, yeah, yeah, do that. While you're doing that, of course, on a false passport, that opens up uh, many more uh, recreational and business opportunities in your international travel. Well, that just about wraps up this week's episode of Vertical Hold. Thanks to Storgarian for making the time to join us. Oh, a very great pleasure. And Storgarian, you've been on the show before, but not for a while. It's time once again for us to draw out the patented Vertical Hold Three Questions of Doom. I will ask all three questions. You may answer them in any order you like. Where can people find your work online? Where can they find you on social media? And our contentious question du jour, what's the worst job you've ever had? Ooh, well, uh, in, in terms of finding me first, Stilgarian is a unique identifier globally, so that's pretty easy. Take your best guess at how to spell it and put it into the Google, uh, and, it, and it works. Uh, or I'm currently between mastheads for some of my tech stuff and doing a bit of uh, consulting. Oddly enough, related to that verified credentials stuff. So some things will be appearing um, fairly soon about that. Uh, or look for my incredibly uh, serious podcast, The 9pm Edict, uh, on Excellent all your podcast apps. There's some, there's, oh, thank you. Uh, now, the worst job. This goes back to uh, the very end of the, the 20th century where I happened to be, uh, again, between gigs, and uh, I got a quick little job just for three weeks doing some data entry, and it was from a, a company that ran bowling alleys. And they had, uh, of course, a lot of members and regular team things and all of that. And they had decided to to really put all that into a database for some reason. They had, I, I don't know why they had a, 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 they wanted to do a CRM system, right? So I was going through all of these, these, paper records to put everything into a CRM system. And so I spent three weeks typing this stuff. And then on, on the second last day of this, I was almost finished, and someone else in the office came across, and I saw them printing off a lot of mailing labels. I thought, what's that about? And they said, oh, that's, that's our membership database. Oh, yeah, yeah, everyone who plays regularly and in a team and – and ah uh, ah, oh, oh. so I've just spent three weeks retyping this thing which you already had, and I could have just imported it into the CRM. But on the plus uh, side, on the plus side, it does feel like you would have been in the best position to go and grab a bowling ball and beat people around the head with it. True, that is the wrong office to make enemies. Yeah, yeah. Look, they were they were lovely people, and they had excellent coffee, but. Oh, and I got, I got Stay clear paid. of the hot dogs, though. I got paid. I well, can that, live without the hot dogs. That That is the important thing. And as always, if you want to catch us here at Vertical Hold, you can do so online for as long as it's still up at Twitter, at Vertical Hold AU, via the Vertical Hold Facebook page, or at verticalhold.com.au. 
And just a reminder for regular listeners, we're thrilled to have Aussie Broadband as our sponsor this year, and they've given us a special promo code which gives new customers a $10 per month discount for six months when signing up online for an unlimited plan between MBN50 and MBN100. The promo code is vertical, so hopefully that'll come in handy for Australian listeners shopping around for a great broadband service. And thanks everybody for dropping by once again and helping us spread the good word in 2022. Vertical Hold is proudly brought to you by Aussie Broadband, changing the game with their award-winning network and Australian-based support. Well, Len, as I said up front, everything has changed again overnight. Here's just a few new facts uh, about the Musk and Twitter thing. Advertisers are fleeing Twitter in droves. Musk is now in serious damage control mode. Uh, Advertisers have called out that that ridiculous poll, freedom of speech versus political correctness, uh, as, a, as a provocation not helping to calm the waters, said uh, one media buyer. Uh, and of course, you know, that is a false dichotomy and it's, it's the rhetoric of far-right conspiracy theorists and conservative pundits, uh, which does, you know, not help you sell mainstream products. Uh, meanwhile, uh, political commentators are starting to point out that the people Musk is uh, getting involved with shaping Twitter are, you know, again, connected with right-wing politics. Uh, in fact, one of them, David Sachs, is part of an effort by Peter Thiel, uh, who was also one of the PayPal billionaires, owns uh, the surveillance software company or the intelligence anal- analysis software company Palantir, and and kind of seems to be in the into the blood of children for some reason. That's part of a. a a concerted push to uh, shove US politics even further to the right. I've linked to a podcast uh, covering that. Uh, And then we've seen more suggestions of what might be money-making ventures. We've already heard about the $8 uh, per month plan to to have a verified account and prioritise replies to other people and so on. There's also weird talk about... Uh, paid direct messages uh, and fees to watch videos and other features. So you know, there's a a Twitter light which is just the text, and then you know, eight bucks a month to get all the other things. Uh, who knows how much of that uh, will come to pass? And finally, on the podcast website, the 9pmedic.com, I've linked to a few articles and podcasts about Twitter's content moderation challenges. The idea that, oh yes, we'll have a free speech network. Everyone else who's said that has realised after not very long at all that you do actually have to have content moderation to keep it as a place that, that anyone else wants to spend time. And as I said earlier... This is just week one. Please remember that the 9pm Edict is supported by you, the generous listener. If you feel the urge, and I hope you do, please go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip and do the needful. Uh, Or just tell your friends. That would be lovely. The more listeners, the better. 
There's a proper new special guest episode of The Edict tomorrow, Saturday the 5th of November, with H.I. Sutton, all about submarines. We recorded it the other day, and it's fantastic. Until then, I'm still Gerian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.